0: Ivy is good.
1: Quartz
0: is good. Snails are good. Hyacinths are good. Fir is good. Glaciers are good. Salt water is good. Brackish water is good. Brackish water is good. So many stars. Hello, and welcome to the 33rd episode of Out of All Doors. I'm your host, Adam Drent, and Out of All Doors is a podcast about the place that's on the right side of the ages old indoors outdoors divide the outdoors. Now, usually our segments are a certain length, but this month, I had an idea. What if most of the regular segments were shorter than usual? And what if there were some new segments, but they were also shorter than the average segment? So this episode is an exploration of that idea, with a few unfortunate exceptions. But you'll know who to blame for those unfortunate exceptions, I'm confident in that. Anyway, so under normal circumstances, this introduction would just be getting going. But this month, the introduction is almost over. Crazy, right? You're probably looking at your watch. Like, did I fall asleep during the middle of this introduction and now I'm waking up right at the end? No, I assure you that you didn't You were awake for all of the introduction so far You've heard every word In fact, you've memorized this introduction Don't believe me? Press pause and try to recite the introduction out loud word for word from memory Seriously, try it Press pause right now Are you back? See, I told you that you'd memorized the introduction That's the beauty of short segments They're so easy to memorize Take advantage Let's begin, shall we? the Regarding the
2: Regarding
3: the the Hello again everyone out there. Howdy. This here is cousin Ben,
2: and this here is Dwayne Leisman.
3: And together we are regarding, regarding the, the Dawn. dawn. This is the part of the podcast where we discuss nature photography.
2: However, this time we will be doing something a little different.
3: That's right. Just as in our episode before the eclipse special episode, we will be doing a new review of some nature-related art that is not photography related.
2: Last time we did a review of an album of nature-related music and it was a big hit with the fans.
3: Oh yeah, I mean, I talked to multiple fans who said they wanted to hear more reviews by us. So who are we to argue with the fans?
2: Well, we are certainly not fan arguers, that's for sure.
3: Exactly.
2: So this time we will be reviewing a nature-related podcast.
3: And since you need to be an expert in something to review it, we decided to review that nature-related podcast that we are both experts on, Out of All Doors.
2: Now, I know what you're saying, ooh, meta. No, 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 we don't do meta.
3: No way. Meta jokes are for hacks. And
2: lazy writers. And we will not tolerate any of that nonsense on here. So, with that being the only objection that anyone could possibly raise, let's get moving. Okay, then. Out of all doors, the podcast. So, this is a podcast that comes out every month, and it's about nature and the great outdoors.
3: And it's made by lots of people from all over the country who contribute their content, and then it is organized, edited, and spearheaded by this guy named Adam Drent.
2: right. So, we should probably get this out of the way right at the start of the review. It's amazing.
3: Totally amazing.
2: Yeah, we find it just amazingly amazing.
3: Completely.
2: Probably one of the most amazing podcasts of all time. You think so? I do think so.
3: Well, maybe we should just make that judgment call right now. Do it, man. Okay, I'm calling it. Officially, it's the most amazing podcast ever. So,
2: let it be written. So, let it be done.
3: I mean, should you want more from your nature-related podcast, you're going to have to wait a long, 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 long time for someone to make a podcast that is better than Out of All Doors.
2: Yep. A long, 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 long...
3: And time. That's a minute. Oh,
2: man. That first minute is so hard to choke down.
3: Well, it's all behind you now. And he's done listening.
2: All right, people. Here we go. The real review of Out of All Doors Overlord, Adam Drent.
0: Surprise, Ben! Surprise, Dwayne! I did listen past the first minute of your segment last month. Not before I included it in the episode and posted it, unfortunately. But after I was alerted to the nature of the content by a listener, I went back and listened to your segment in its entirety, which is something I try to never, ever do because it's so bad and contains nothing worth hearing. But this time, it was well worth it. Not because of what it revealed about my album, which was all wrong, but because of what it revealed about you, which was stuff that I already suspected but couldn't prove. But I didn't say anything about it to you. I didn't let you know that I heard what you said. Why? Because I was setting a trap. I knew you'd be emboldened by what you thought was another successful foray into outright treachery. I knew you'd try again. I knew you'd take it further. But this time, I'm ready for you, and I have the power of the final edit. And listeners, in case you're confused, I'm recording this after the fact and inserting it into the middle of their review. So let's proceed
3: and see what They have to say. That's right. Our fearless leader, Mon Capitan, General Drent, Lieutenant Adam, Sergeant Strange,
2: Colonel Crazy... Uh, Dude, are you just uh, listening in a military title you can think of?
0: Uh. Military titles aren't really very insulting. Being called Strange isn't really very insulting. Being called Crazy kind of is. But Ben accidentally says listening instead of listing. And then somehow manages to botch his pronunciation of the word
3: any.
2: Yeah. Okay, so here's the deal, mm. people. Adam Durant is not qualified for this job. He has no experience running anything.
3: Not a convenience store, not a drum circle, not a bake sale, mm. not a team sport, not an elementary school drama production. And
2: certainly not a podcast that is entirely made up of talented and creative creative types.
0: Certainly not. I'm qualified to run the podcast because it's mine so however I choose to run it is the correct way and I've been running it for three years so I have the best possible experience someone could have for running out of all doors which is that I've been running out of all doors for its whole existence.
2: I mean, he has not allowed anyone to flourish or grow on the podcast. He has not challenged them. He has not leveraged any of the multifaceted geniuses that he has at, disposal, at his disposal. I mean, he's just, like, complained and pushed and griped and limited all of them.
3: Yeah, both of them.
2: Yeah, I... Uh, uh.
0: If anything, my biggest flaw in running out of all doors is that I'm too lenient. I should probably be a stricter gatekeeper, but I'm too nice, so I keep letting dunces like Cousin Ben and
3: Dwayne and Grang and whoever Jason ended up being stink up the place. He is such a tyrant. All he cares about is himself and his bats. We are entering the battery. We are entering the battery. That's not what I sound like. That's
0: what you and Ben sound like, Dwayne. And also, it's we enter the battery not we are entering the battery i mean get get the basics right if you're going to criticize me it's we enter the battery
2: it's four words where's the diversity where's the originality how are we going to showcase the variety and beauty of nature if we do the same junk every month
3: well maybe if i talk about bats enough my audience won't notice
0: Again, that's not what I sound like. that's what you and Ben sound like when you don't when you're not sounding like the other way that you sounded when you were pretending to impersonate me. And also I, I should take this opportunity to point out that at the beginning of this segment it sounded like Ben was calling himself Dwayne Leesman, and Dwayne was calling himself cousin Ben. I, I think it was supposed to be that you were introducing each other. But it, d- it did not sound like that. I thought it was an error. I-, I literally thought you guys were capable of not knowing your own
2: names. You hear that, Adam? That's the sound of your listeners exiting the battery and clicking their personal listening devices over to a podcast about something else. Something that doesn't talk about bats every episode.
3: Like a baseball podcast. Yeah.
2: Uh...
0: That would not be audible. Most people's listening devices have touch screens, and even if they
3: don't, they have really quiet buttons. And you know what else? How is it that every one of his monologues end up being more about himself than the outdoors or the podcast? How
0: many times do I have to explain this? The podcast is about the outdoors. I am the host of that podcast. So if I do a segment about me, then that, by association, is about the outdoors. And if I do a segment about the podcast, that is about the outdoors. Because both myself And the podcast are about the outdoors. It's, it's, you'd have to be stupid to not understand that. I have explained it on the podcast. I talk about it all the time in private conversation. Everyone understands this except for you guys.
2: Yeah, yeah, they're like therapy sessions or something. And, And who wants to listen to that? Well, therapists would. I imagine. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, but how many therapists do you know that listen to Out of All Doors? Well, not mine. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and even if it was plausible situation, like, that would mean that he was basically trying to make a podcast about the outdoors that just appealed to therapists? I mean, so it would be like the nature therapy hour, but not like really therapy for other people, but like... This is such a needless digression. Get to the point. Just his personal... Therapy sessions? I mean, like... uh, Oh. uh, What? I just thought of something. Yeah? What if, like, Adam is a criminal past, and, like, he is a disturbed sociopath, and his court-appointed therapist has assigned him to record sessions of him talking about his inner thoughts and submit them for evaluation, and that's what his opening monologue and visualization exercise is, but because he's so sociopathic, he, he has to, like trick people and deceive and control and manipulate all the time so uh so even when he is doing what his court appointed therapist asked him to do he's still fulfilling his sick sociopathic desires by roping all these other people into recording things and working hard for his own sick pleasure
0: having you guys contribute to out of all doors gives me no pleasure sick or
2: otherwise and it's it's also that he can flaunt his behavior in front of his therapist as sort of a rebellious, obey the letter of the law sort of scenario and show how he outsmarted the therapist and the state. And even though he's submitting to the therapist's demands, he's demonstrating how much more clever he is than the therapist by still doing so on his own terms.
3: I am more clever than a therapist. Uh, Well, I, I guess I mean, you're his cousin. You know him better than me. Does Adam have a criminal record?
2: Oh, no. No, no, he's squeaky clean. He's never gotten into trouble with the cops.
3: You think we are, like, in danger?
2: Danger of being bored to death, maybe.
0: If I thought this was a real possibility, you would see just how boring I can be. So he's not going to come here and, like, um... Pull a Jason? Yeah.
2: No, we're good.
0: I am nothing like Jason, okay? And I I don't even really think I sound like him that much. You guys should be more concerned about me showing up there and acting
3: like Jason Voorhees. Okay, so sociopathic tendencies aside, he's probably just some guy with a podcast who is on a power trip. And he just gets a kick out of shooting people down and their ideas for no reason. You know what I get even more of a kick out
0: of than shooting down people and their ideas for no reason? Shooting down people and their ideas because the people are terrible and their ideas are terrible. I
3: mean, he clearly just loves to crush people and feel superior to anyone he can.
0: Look, Dwayne, Ben, it's not that I love to feel superior to you guys. It's that I would despise myself if I couldn't feel superior to you guys.
2: And that sort of behavior has no place on a podcast like this. I mean, really, <laughs> Right. Personal egos and hangups and attempts to falsely demonstrate superiority by demeaning other people and their art is not a good way to inspire people to help you towards working towards your cause or your goal.
3: Um,
2: Look, people, bottom line is this. Do not hire Adam to run your podcast. Wait.
3: Someone hired him to run out of all doors? Uh,
2: Well, no, but... But he's
3: offering his service as a podcast host? No, I mean, uh, just... So,
2: how would somebody hire him to... uh, Dwayne, Dwayne, that's not the point. The point is, he's terrible at this, and he shouldn't be allowed to be in charge of the podcast.
3: Oh, right. Yes, yes, totally.
2: Wrong, no, stupid. So, to wrap it up for this month, guys, Adam Drank gets a big thumbs down from us, and we... Stupid, bad, no, this is dumb. We think... As nature podcast hosts go, he's the worst.
0: Absolutely the worst. Everything you're saying is stupid. Everything you're saying is wrong.
2: You guys are terrible. You suck. So out of all doors rules, and so does this segment regarding the Dawn. No,
3: it doesn't. It sucks.
2: But just... Not the host. Right.
3: And that's all we have for you this month, folks. See you next time. Bye. Well, Cousin Ben and Dwayne, you've revealed yourselves
0: to be total traitors, you've embarrassed yourselves in front of all the listeners, and you were completely outsmarted by me and everyone got to hear it, so you've been completely owned and probably the only option left to you is to just admit that you've been beaten and give up because... You all
4: suck. All three of you. I have all- Three and everywhere else, and the entire podcast is bad. The ghost is good. I'm the ghost. The aye.
0: The fact that the bat is my favorite animal is well-established. But did you know that I also love the animal known as the aye-aye? Not as much as I love bats, of course, but it's probably worth noting that the aye-aye's face is similar to the faces of some kinds of bats. It is also nocturnal. And get this, it uses echolocation to find larvae. It taps on trees with its unnerving middle finger and listens to the sounds it makes to find little pockets of hollow wood with grubs in them. The aye-aye also has a hyphen in its name, which I like. And, of course, the I.I.'s strange and unnerving middle finger was the inspiration for my song called Skinny Finger, wherein I use the I.I.'s finger as a metaphor. You've got to watch some videos of this finger. It looks like it's moving independently of the rest of the I.I., like it has a mind of its own. It's mesmerizing. Would I ever consider having a segment like The Battery, except called the IIery? Well, it isn't the worst idea. The name is hard to say, but I actually consider that a mark in its favor. And now I'm just going to read you what Wikipedia says about eye eyes under the heading Folk Belief. And for now, I'm going to let that conclude my explanation of why I love eye eyes. Researchers in Madagascar report remarkable fearlessness in the eye eye. Some accounts tell of individual animals strolling nonchalantly in village streets or even walking right up to naturalists in the rainforest and sniffing their shoes. However, the eye eye is often viewed as a harbinger of evil and killed on sight. Others believe, if one points its narrowest finger at someone, they are marked for death. Some say the appearance of an eye in a village predicts the death of a villager, and the only way to prevent this is to kill it. The Sakalava people go so far as to claim eye eyes sneak into houses through the thatched roofs and murder the sleeping occupants by using their middle finger to puncture the victim's aorta. What you can do for endangered species. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. Sabotage endangered species hunting expeditions by going along as a double agent, and then sneaking out of your tent at night to outfit all the endangered animals in the area with custom-made bulletproof vests. If an animal you have as a pet ever becomes an endangered species, then continue to not kill it. If you must wear an article of clothing made from the fur of an endangered animal, make it something small, like an ear bra. And show Endangered Species PowerPoint presentations about not committing suicide. A Joke Without Cousin Brent There are two men... Together, they are hiking in the woods. They both carry heavy packs, wear sturdy boots with thick soles. They do not speak to each other as they walk. They resent each other. Why? Neither of them would be able to articulate their reasons for resenting the other. Theirs is a mutual resentment that has gathered together and grown over the decades in which they have been friends. Much of the time, they can ignore its presence and enjoy each other's company. But today, alone in the woods but for each other, They cannot ignore the presence of the resentment. It weighs down on them like a substantial cloud. They move as if through an invisible yet tangible fog of resentment. If one of them were to speak, whatever he said would be tinged with spite. The other man would hear it and would snap back at him. An argument would ensue, bitter and sad. Both men know this instinctively. They are waiting for the resentment to burrow back beneath the surface, not for it to dissipate. They know that will never happen. For the resentment to truly dissipate, to cease to exist, they would both need to take steps that they know neither of them will ever take. They prefer to live with the resentment, to wait it out, when it bears its teeth at them, and then when it grows bored of attempting to provoke a fight and goes back to sleep, the men, the friends can speak to each other again about sports, their families, movies, distances to their next camping spot, whatever they want. A few topics of conversation would, of course, re-rouse the resentment instantly, but the men are well aware of what not to talk about. They won't stumble into those topics, not even if they drink alcohol. They round a corner and find themselves face to face with an enormous bear, too skinny for a bear at this time of year. It is hungry and furious at its hunger. It will eat anything. It will eat things far worse than a human man. It was lying down when the men first encountered it, but now it rises to its feet. Not upright on its hind legs, it is not trying to intimidate them. It stays on all fours, preparing to charge, to pursue, to overtake, to kill, to eat. One man looks over at his friend and sees that this friend has already dropped his pack, is digging through it. What are you doing? His friend doesn't answer. He continues to dig through his pack. He extracts one running shoe and then another, sits down on the ground, kicks off his clunky hiking boots, pulls on one of the running shoes. "'Do you really?' asks the first man, his voice a shaky whisper. "'Believe that those running shoes will help you to outrun a bear?' "'I don't have to outrun a bear,' says the friend. He stands. Stands on feet shod in running shoes. "'I only need to outrun you.' Underappreciated nature. Well, this segment has been through the ringer. I know it isn't salvageable, I know that. Even if I were to finally deliver on the immense promise of the premise, the whole thing has been so tarnished that it would be impossible for you listeners to hear it without thinking about all the baggage attached to it. You'd hear that baggage. The baggage would drown out the brilliance. This concept is permanently polluted. I know, I know, I know. It's dead. But even so... I'm going to do it again, one last time. Do I think it will go any better this time? No, not really. So why am I doing it? I don't know. Closure, I guess. Anyway, this month the underappreciated thing from nature is a possum. As always, I will be playing the role of both the possum and the interviewer. The voices of both characters will be pitched down for reasons that I readily admit I cannot explain.
4: So, possum, thanks for coming to talk to us this month. I said thanks for coming to talk to us this month. Are you asleep? Or are you pretending to be dead? Hello? Do you think this kind of behavior might be one of the reasons that you're underappreciated? Whoa, wait, is that fake blood coming out of your mouth? Is that part of playing dead? Do possums really use fake blood to enhance the realism of their portrayals of death? Or is that specific to you? Or is that real blood? Did you bite your own tongue to achieve this effect? Hello? Hello? Hello?
0: The zoo employees tell us we can't go in there. They say it's against the rules. They say they will call security. They say our research is not conventional enough for their tastes. They say we will upset the bats. They say it will set a bad example for children who are watching. They say we need written permission from someone other than ourselves, no matter how official our documents look. They say we will never guess the code to the door They say that they will resort to shooting us with tranquilizers if they must They say that overturning their garbage cans is not doing anything to help our case They say they are recording all of this on their phones so everyone will know who is at fault They say they couldn't care less if we make them sound bad on a podcast They say they've had long days and they don't have the energy to do this They say to just get it over with We enter the battery demons do not have bat wings and never will you know what hasn't gotten enough attention in the battery over the years the fact that some bats eat fish you know the majesty of an eagle swooping down to pluck a fish from a stream and then carrying it away multiply that by a trillion but substitute a more interesting word for majesty there are bats who eschew the colonies of thousands or millions in favor of solitary lives Consider using the term lone bat instead of the term lone wolf. People will be less likely to know what you mean, but communication is not always the point of language. Imagine the joy of having teeth with such fine points that your victims are not even aware that you've bitten them. Why, it would be heaven on earth. Watch footage of a bat or bats swimming. A bat-shaped hole in one's heart is fatal. I looked up how to say bat in Russian. It's like I don't care for the fact that the word bat is a homonym. I seriously doubt that letuchyamish is a homonym. Good work, Russians. A bat need not be a harbinger for anything else. The arrival of a bat is noteworthy in its own right. What further significance need there be? A bat is here. A compliment with a bat portmanteau within it. You are very, very, very bat attractive. Think of all the times that a bat could have completely altered the trajectory of your life, but didn't. Do you wish even one of those times it had? I am not saying that I wish there was a kind of bat with a long, long tail, but if there were such a bat, I would love it as much as all the other kinds of bats. Same for a bat with a whole bunch of necklaces. Just read a poem about bats by D. H. Lawrence. The last two lines are, In China the bat is symbol for happiness. Not for me. Grow up, D.H. And oh, by the way, I read Sons and Lovers when I was 18, and I remember nothing about it. A bat in the bush is worth more birds than you could hold with both hands, and I like birds. It was never our intention to spend all night in here. That's why it was so stupid that they were making such a big deal about not letting us in. Look, we're already done. Nothing bad happened. In and out, just like we promised. If they had just let us enter when we first asked instead of making such a big stink about it, they could have saved us all a lot of grief. We leave. The Battery. Words that insects understand. If you're going to communicate with insects, you're going to have to use words they can understand. And I don't know if this goes without saying or not, but insects can't read, so you're going to have to say these words out loud to them. You can't just leave them a note. Also, it should be noted that this is not a big list, so you may have to get creative in terms of how you combine these words, in what order you say them, how you inflect them, which ones you repeat for emphasis, and so on depending on the complexity of what you're trying to say to the insects, that is. So, here are the words that insects understand. Number one is ouch. Number two is stop. Number three is shut up. They think this is one word, which is wrong, but they do know what it means. And number four is uh, please sting Nicholas instead of me. They also think that this is one word, which is way off, but they do know what it means, and it should also be noted that while they know what it means... They probably won't know who Nicholas is, not even if he's wearing a name tag, since, as I mentioned before, they can't read. The three tallest trees I can imagine in descending order. The first one is infinitely tall, of course. A lot of people have trouble imagining anything is infinite, and I'll be honest, I do too, but for me, there's one major exception, and that's this infinitely tall tree, which I have no trouble imagining at all. The second one is as tall as the width of the entire universe, which in my imagination is not infinite, because I can't imagine a universe as being infinite, only the tallness of a tree. So in the case of this second tallest tree, it's as tall as the universe is wide. Hard to be much taller than that without being infinitely tall, and if it were infinitely tall, it would move into a tie with the first place tree. The third tallest tree I can imagine is one trillion miles tall. I almost said one trillion feet tall, but then I thought, come on, Adam, you can imagine a tree taller than that for the third tallest tree you can imagine, so I changed feet to miles. As a bonus, I will tell you the shortest tree I can imagine. It's four feet tall. When I try to imagine a tree shorter than four feet, it just turns into grass in my head. If I were a vulture. If I were a vulture, I would not eat carrion. Instead, I would eat what I eat now, because what I eat now is preferable to carrion in every way. It tastes better, looks better, smells better. I would also still drive a car, live in an apartment, read books, and so on. You would not be able to force me to live like a more conventional vulture. But no matter how little my life changed, I have a feeling no one would let me into an open casket funeral. This month, Gentleman's Mills is getting into the short segment excitement by presenting a selection of a few of their smallest goods and services. At Gentleman's Mills, we know that big things can only come in big packages, but small things can come in any packages of any size. And it should be noted that not all of these things are small, but they all relate to smallness in some way. Number one, leaf blower. While most things that claim to be leaf blowers are actually leaves blowers, this product from Gentleman's Mills is a true leaf blower. It's only big enough to blow one leaf at a time, but it can blow up to four consecutive leaves on a single charge. Number two, eyebrow rain slicker. This product will keep one of your eyebrows from getting wet in mild to moderately mild rain showers. The fact that your other eyebrow is soaked will make your slicker covered eyebrow seem all the drier. Number 3. Microscopic Bird Feeder. At Gentleman's Mills, we don't know if microscopic birds really exist or not, but if they do, this is the perfect feeder for them. Please note that the feeder is for microscopic birds, but the feeder itself is also microscopic. Number 4. Toothpick sized ski pole. Functions best as a less sharp toothpick. Number 5. One third of a singing telegram. Smart customers know to put the most important information in the first one-third of the telegram. Number six, driveway shortener. We'll decrease the distance between your garage and the road, and we'll do it fast. Number seven, little game. Mount this frog head over your mantle, and you'll still have plenty of unadorned wall to look at if you want to. Number eight, tantrum timer. Tired of your tantrums taking up too much of your morning? Start the timer as soon as you start your tantrum, and a minute later, the buzzer goes off, letting you know that it's time to be content again. Number nine, huge grain of salt. It's still very small. And Number ten, the house you grew up in. It's a lot smaller than you remember. And now, be welcomed to the Campfire of Chills. This short Campfire of Chills tale comes from a listener named Molly. She writes, When I was young, there was a big woods behind our house. One late summer night, when I was twelve, I was camping out in that woods by myself. The night was warm and the bugs weren't bad, so I had opted not to use a tent, instead just laying my sleeping bag down in a clearing so I could look up at the stars until I fell asleep. It was getting pretty late, and I had been lying there a while, just thinking and enjoying the peacefulness when I heard voices. I couldn't tell which direction they were coming from, so I sat up, looking into the forest around me for a light, maybe, or any sign of movement. I didn't see anything. I lay back down and listened harder. That's when I realized the voices belonged to Adam and Grang from out of all doors. But how could they be out in the woods with me? That's when I remembered that I had my iPod and my sleeping bag with me and I must have accidentally hit play on an old episode of Out of All Doors and I was hearing the voices coming out of my earbuds next to my pillow. But then I remembered that I had stopped listening to my iPod earlier because its battery was dead. So how could it be playing now? But then I remembered that I had outfitted my iPod with a solar charging system so the sun must have recharged it a little in the time since the battery had died on me. But then I remembered that it had already been dark for a while when the battery had died on me, so there was no way the sun could have recharged my iPod, not even a little. But then I remembered that I was 12, so that meant the year had to be 1991, which meant that Out of All Doors didn't exist yet, iPods didn't exist yet, and I'm not even sure if earbuds existed yet. Did that mean that this was all a dream? But then I remembered that it's very unsatisfying when a scary story concludes by revealing that everything you just heard was a dream. Did that mean this was some kind of time-traveling thing? Or maybe that I was the spirit of a dead person since the rules of those phenomena are so vaguely defined? But then I remembered Occam's razor, by which I mean that I remembered that the simplest explanation is usually the true one. So did that mean that this actually happened recently and I had just been mistaken about the iPod's battery dying and that I had temporarily forgotten my own age? But just as I decided this must be the case, I woke up to find that I was the time-traveling spirit of my dead self. And now, for the sake of one final additional fright, I'm going to pause for a few seconds and then shout, Boo! Whittling ideas Many scientists argue that well over half the population would take up whittling as their primary hobby if they could think of what to whittle Well, that's where I come in I'm the guy who gives you some ideas of what to whittle Here are three to five of those ideas, depending on how many I can come up with Of course, now the cat's out of the bag and you know that I wrote this little intro before actually coming up with the ideas But I'm confident I can do it At least three Less than three would be pathetic So here we go. Idea number one, just whittle the number one into a block of wood. Idea number two, whittle the number two into a block of wood. Idea number three, whittle the number three into a block of wood. Idea number four, whittle the number one into a block of wood except make it upside down. And idea number five, whittle a block of wood so that it looks like someone tried to take a big bite out of it, broke a tooth, and gave up. It feels strange to start every call with you by expressing how surprised I am that you're still alive, but I am surprised, Grang.
1: Well, Grant, I don't know what kind of outrageous claims you've been hearing about Des Moines, Iowa and the mainstream media, but I assure you it's actually a very safe, calm place. So you are back in Des Moines? No, no, I'm not back in Des Moines. I'm actually visiting Des Moines, Iowa for the first time in my life.
0: So you're in Des Moines, Iowa, and you're seeing that it looks exactly the same as the, the place where you were for months, and you're continuing to insist that they're two different Des Moines.
1: Well, I address that, Trent. Des Moines, Mexico, and Des Moines, Iowa are twin sister cities, so it makes sense that they would look alike. In fact, I've now determined that they are identical twin sister cities. Even many of their residents look the same. But that works out well for me because I've been able to use my knowledge of Des Moines, Mexico to find my way around this Des Moines leave. And, Dren, I have to say that even though the two Des Moines are so similar, there's, there's just something about being back on American soil. It just feels different. No, no matter how much a foreign city might look like an American city, sometimes down to the smallest detail, it can never feel like an American city. It's Subtle, but it's something that I believe any true-born American detective would notice.
0: Are you trolling me, Grang? Is that what this is?
1: No, of course not. I'm just sharing my observations with you and the listeners.
0: So you haven't noticed members of the cartel you double-crossed through incompetence following you around?
1: No, the cartel's in Des Moines, Mexico. Their reach doesn't extend to Des Moines, Iowa. I'm in the middle of the country. How would they ever find me here?
0: All right, what, whatever. I'm just glad that we can finally agree on which country you're in now. A- and tell me again, why are you in Des Moines, Iowa?
1: Because the Crow Chief gave the caribou who lives here the login information for the old out-of-all-doors block. So I came here to try to get it from him. Unfortunately, as has been the case with everyone I've tried to retrieve the login information from, he is not willing to just give it to me for nothing.
0: Okay, and a caribou is a guy who illegally smuggles people into Canada, right? He's the one who took the crow chief to Canada?
1: Well, that's what caribou are supposed to do, but this one is crooked. If you'll recall, he didn't take the crow chief to Canada. He took him to the chilly, heavily forested, semi-mountainous region just outside of Phoenix, Arizona.
0: He, uh... Okay, well, let's just go with that. So so you have to do some kind of favor for him before he'll give you the information?
1: Well, he wants me to work for him in order to prove my loyalty and trustworthiness. He wants me to help him smuggle people into Canada illegally. The problem is that he wants me to smuggle 50 different people before he'll give me information. And he wants me to find all of these customers on my own. Do you have any idea how long that would take if I hadn't already thought of an ingenious plan that will solve all of my problems, and by extension, all of out of Aldor's problems in a little more than a week? What problems do
0: you think that you're solving for Out of All Doors?
1: Well, no access to the original URL for the Out of All Doors blog, and failure to live up to its potential because of a distinct lack of any segments by me here, the two big ones that spring to mind.
0: Just tell me what your doomed plan is so we can get on to the part of the call where I begin to understand how misguided it all is.
1: The brilliance of this plan is its simplicity, Dread it would take me forever to smuggle 50 different people across the Canadian border even if I did one every two days that'd take me like a hundred days but what if I smuggled all 50 across the Canadian border at once what if I knocked them all out in one big trip
0: Okay, where are you going to find 50 people who want to go to Canada who can't just get themselves across the border with their own passports?
1: That's the easiest part, Grant. because right here in Des Moines, Iowa, it turns out, there's an organization called the Felons Foreign Fly Fishing Fan Club. There's actually 63 members of the club, and they're all huge fans of fly fishing on foreign soil. But Canada won't let them in because they all have multiple felonies on their record. So I told them that I could smuggle them all across the border and take them all to a good Canadian fly fishing spot on one bus. They're thrilled. They're eager to pay the caribou's hefty prices. When else are they going to get a chance like this?
0: Grang, I know you recently managed to cross a border, and there's disagreement about which border that was, but you crossed a border because your awful crows annoyed the customs agent so much. But that's not going to work again. It's definitely not going to work for a van full of felons. You cannot get a van full of felons across the Canadian border.
1: On this one point, Drench, you might be right. But here's the thing. I'm not actually going to take them to Canada. We're never going to cross the border. I'm going to take them to a remote stream in Wisconsin, and I'm going to tell them that we're in Canada. So you're going to do
0: exactly what you think the caribou did to the crow chief, But to a bus full of felons
1: Well, yes, in some ways I am And I admit to feeling a bit morally conflicted about that You transported
0: drugs for a cartel You sold drugs so you could buy a plane ticket to Des Moines, Iowa You didn't feel morally conflicted about that?
1: No, but here's the thing, Dredd As long as I work this very carefully The felons will believe they're in Canada And will have a fun time fly fishing No one will actually be hurt by this. The felons will have a fun trip. I'll get the money for 63 customers. I'll give that to the caribou as proof that I went above and beyond his demand, and he'll give me the login information. Now, obviously, it's going to be very difficult to convince the felons that they're in a different country when they aren't. It would take an enormous amount of false evidence to convince even the dimmest of people that they're in a different country than they actually are, But that's what I intend to provide, an enormous amount of false evidence. When I'm through with them, they'll fully believe that I smuggled them into Canada and they spent an amazing few days fly fishing out of a Canadian stream surrounded by natural Canadian wilderness. Because really it would be impossible for a trip like the one they think they're getting to actually occur. So isn't it actually kind of charitable of me to make them believe it is occurring? I'm just going to move past
0: your strong opinions about how difficult it is for even an idiot to believe they're in the wrong country, in order to point out that your van full of felons is going to notice when you never cross a border, they're going to notice when the bus never drives through customs.
1: No, they won't, because I've told them that I have a connection who's a customs agent. I've told them that all I have to do is slip in a little money and he'll wave us through. I've told them that they'll need to be hiding under blankets for most of the trip. They think it's to keep people from seeing them, but really it's to keep them from seeing where I'm driving. When we're getting close to our campsite, I'll stop the bus, insert my French audiobook CD of sorts, L'Etre et les into the stereo, and then pretend to have a conversation in French with a customs agent who isn't really there, pausing and unpausing the CD in order to service his voice. I myself will be speaking very convincing fake French. Then we'll drive on, and I won't tell them to come out from under the blankets until we're safely in the woods where they won't see anything to Wisconsin to tip them off.
0: All right, so what if one of them understands French and realizes you're faking?
1: Grant, please, they're felons. They don't know French.
0: Okay, so what if some of them peek out from under the blankets and they see that you're not really at customs?
1: Grant, please, they're fly fishermen. They follow the rules.
0: So so let's briefly return to... uh, This enormous amount of false evidence you're going to provide to convince them that they're in Canada? I mean, it feels like a Wisconsin woods could pass for a Canadian woods pretty easily, Grang, especially for a bunch of felons from Iowa. As long as you keep them out there and away from civilization, this is the one aspect of the plan which sounds like it might actually work.
1: No, Greg, no. I've already explained how human beings have an innate sense that tells them when they're on native soil or foreign soil. I'm going to need to provide a mountain of contrary evidence to convince my felons to ignore that inner sense that will be telling them they're still on native soil.
0: Grand, quick question. If someone experiences a mountain of evidence that confirms their innate sense that they're on native soil, what happens then? Do two positives make a negative? Would that person then delude themselves into thinking they were on foreign soil?
1: No, never. In a case like that, the person would just believe that they're on native soil. Okay, and and what if there was a flaw
0: in the person's innate sense that made them think they were on foreign soil when they were actually on native soil, or vice versa?
1: The only possible explanation for something like that would be that the person was mistaken about his or her country of origin. The inner sense regarding which soil was native and which was foreign couldn't be wrong, but it would seem backward to the person's mistaken conscious mind.
0: All right, so what if the person was just an idiot?
1: No, the inner sense I'm talking about has no connection to intelligence.
0: Okay, almost like the theory itself. Well, it sounds like you've probably got a lot of prep to do for your big fake trip to Canada, so I'm going to let you go. Uh,
1: Wait, wait, Drent. You haven't heard my new segment idea.
0: (sighs) All right, you have two seconds. Go.
1: Trout of all doors.
0: No, bye. Close your eyes real quick. Just find a spot to lie down real quick. Just take a quick second to relax. This is only going to take a few minutes. you find yourself on a short little loop trail around the visitor's center. It's not even a dirt path. It's paved. There are handrails on both sides of it. Even at the very slow pace that you're walking, you're going to complete this hike soon. And it can't even really be called a hike. You could easily push a stroller or a wheelchair on this trail. Or a shopping cart, I suppose or a dolly with a big appliance on it, still in its box. You could wear any kind of shoe that you darn well please on this trail. You could even go barefoot, since the tall trees all around it prevent the pavement from ever getting too hot. In fact, if not for the trees, there would be no point on this trail at which you wouldn't be able to see the visitor's center. It's impossible to get lost. Impossible. Unless, of course, you leave the trail but you'd have to ignore the signs telling you not to, duck under the handrail, and deliberately head out into the woods. And you're not going to do that, because this is just a short, relaxing little stroll on one of the easiest, dinkiest little trails you've ever seen. Look, it feels like you've barely started, and you're already almost halfway around. Why, this is even easier than walking on the sidewalk in your neighborhood. This is even easier than walking in a mall. Walking on those moving walkways in airports is easier, but that's about it. You run your hand along the handrail as you walk. It's wooden, but you are not even remotely worried about getting a splinter. The handrail is that smooth. You could walk this trail backward. You could crawl this trail. You could hop this trail on one foot. A baby could learn to walk at the beginning of this trail and then walk the whole trail without even needing to hold the hand of a more practiced walker. You could sleepwalk this trail. You could start walking this trail while awake, fall asleep on your feet, and then sleepwalk the rest of it, and it still wouldn't take very long. You could feel hungry at the beginning of a trail, and not feel noticeably more hungry when you finish the trail. You continue to walk forward. You're well past halfway done now. This trail is so short that if you stop to read the four different placards posted along the way, that's probably going to double the length of your walk. And there's not even that much writing on the placards. But there is one caveat to this that I should mention. Just reading the placards will double the length of your walk, making it, like, ten minutes instead of five minutes or whatever. But if you actually do what the placards tell you to do, that will extend the length of your walk by billions of years. And yes, you will live that long, but it's not worth it, because you'll be walking on this trail for all those billions of years. And you won't be walking exceptionally slowly or anything. And the trail won't be longer. And there certainly won't be more to see. From what I gather, it's a paradox, or a couple paradoxes. But anyway, sure, by all means, read the placards if you want to. Just don't take their messages to heart. Don't believe them. Don't follow their instructions. This was supposed to be a short jaunt, remember? That means a few minutes, not a few billion years. Actually, you know what? Don't read the placards. You don't read them. You walk right past them. You're not even curious. You're almost done. You see the end of the trail right there. You can see the parking lot. You can see your own car. You have not broken a sweat. You could easily do another ten or twenty laps on this trail. A bird the likes of which you've never seen plucks at your shirt sleeve, tugging you back toward one of the placards on the trail behind you. You admire its plumage for a moment, shake it off, and complete the trail. It's over. Wasn't that nice? And now, open your eyes. And take the piece doing something easy with you this month. Even when you are so- you walk back to the beginning of the trail, you pull your reading glasses out of your pocket. Thank you for listening to the 33rd episode of Out of All Doors. Here are this month's writing and performance credits. Ben Bird, Chris Nichols, and Greg. The music credits are as follows, Casey By, J.J. Evans, Chris Nichols, and Aaron Eikenberry set up the technical stuff for me. Please rate this podcast, please write a review, please subscribe. I also have another podcast called Bedtime Stories, and another concluded podcast called One Man's World. You can find them on iTunes or on my website, hugepop.com, where you can also find a link to the music I make as The Mispronouncer. I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash hugepop, where for $1 or more per month you can get access to exclusive content. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in a month with the 34th episode of Out of All Doors.